You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. The scripture reading for today is taken from Song of Songs, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, It's so good to see everyone. Uh, Some of you haven't seen you like for over a year. Uh, And then you're very masked and I wondered, I actually looked around wondering, is this the person that I know? Uh, And uh, some of you are new and it's really great uh, to see I think it's a, it's a day of celebration for us to be able to come as a church and be here together, although there's still some restrictions, but it's nothing like gathering together as a church. Uh, we're going to start today in a new series from the book of, from the Song of Solomons, and uh, I wonder if you're excited. I wonder if you're excited to, uh, to delve into the Song of Solomons. I know that, you know, it is a, a very mysterious book. Uh, some people blush reading that book uh, because, and wonder why is it even in the Bible? You know, and there's every reason for it, you know, for what it is, and we're going to look at it um, this time. If you are here as a teenager and you're going to hear some things that will kind of like make your ears, ears perk up, uh, you need to, yeah, and, and uh, you feel like you need to talk about it, talk to your youth leaders, talk to your parents, talk to someone, okay? Because um, you will hear about things like that from everywhere else, but there's no other safer place than in the church uh, to, be, to hear from a, uh, from, from a scriptural paradigm and a, and a biblical context on issues that we're going to talk about today. What we do in our church is that we often run a series on marriage. Every, uh, every two years, three years, we feel like it's a good thing you know, for us to come back again and reflect back on marriage uh, 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 every few years. Now, this time around, we're attempting to do that through the book of Solomon's, through the Song of Solomon's, or better known as Song of Songs. And then we're going to draw some lessons on marriage and, and on sex and singleness. So, I have, uh, when I, uh, I had a very, very interesting, uh, m- over a month of studying the book, uh, just, just, just getting all that I can out of it, and I came up with nine sermons. And I can only fit five into this, uh, into, into this uh, in the month of September that we're going to do this. So we're going to look at it as season one and season two, where in season one, when I do five sermons, and then in season two next, next year, there'll be the last four sermons. Actually, the last four sermons are far more exciting than the first five that we're going to see. So that will do next year, all right? The book, uh, if you open it up, you'll discover that the book actually is about the gifts that God has given to all of us as human beings, as men and women. Uh, the gifts of beauty, the gifts of pleasure, the gift of desire and delight, but they all point to something, to something greater that we don't even yet understand. I mean, you know, like in Psalm 16, the scripture talks about pleasure. And it says, uh, David writes and says, At your right hand, O God, are pleasures evermore. How do you even grasp what that actually means? That in the presence of God, 
for all of eternity that you and I are going to experience pleasure forevermore. Now, when you try to frame it in our earthly minds that we have right now, we think of pleasure in terms of food. We think of pleasure in terms of fun. We think of pleasure in terms of sex. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there, there's going to be no marriage, there's going to be no intimacy, but there is going to be greater pleasure. Now, that means that marriage and intimacy here on earth pointed to something even better. And I don't even understand what it is, and I don't even know how to describe it. So what we will see in this series as, broke, you know, as people who have been broken by sin is that we're going to talk a lot through this series about sexual brokenness and marriage issue, issues that probably some of us are going through, but only the gospel can bring us that healing. The series will speak to both the marriage as well as the singles, and the sexual struggles that we all experience, whether we are married or we are single. And I pray, and this will be my prayer throughout this series, that I pray that we will find healing, a measure of healing, and with that healing will come a liberty, and that we will find restoration for our own sexual brokenness through this series. Now, as we begin, this is the first sermon of five, so I want to give you a broad introduction uh, to this book so that we have the right context to the way that we will interpret it and understand it. So I'm going to give you right now three things all right, that you need to know from the onset about the Song of Songs. Oh, I mustn't walk out of my, this frame, yeah. If, it feels a little good to walk out, but you're not allowed to do that, yeah. Like you, I have to stay where I am, yeah. All right, the first is this. This is a song and not a story. Did I put it up? Yeah. This is a song and not a story. Now, Solomon wrote it, but he didn't write it about any particular husband or wife. It's not a story of a particular husband or a particular wife. It is, it, is, it is any wife. It is any husband. And this isn't just somebody's story. This isn't even Solomon's story. This is not Solomon's love story. This is not a description of his love life. It is any husband, anywhere. Therefore, it is our story. This could be any one of us here. So this isn't just stories where you, where you, you don't read the Song of Solomon and you, you don't say, oh, that's cool for them. What a perfect couple. You know, no, this is you. This is me. This is for us. All right? The second thing is this. The book is very open about sexual intimacy. All right? Now, in, in, ancient, in, in ancient Hebrew culture, what would happen is that at a wedding celebration, they would sing this song. All right? So if you had in those days, let's say they were to transport you out to a wedding uh, celebration in ancient Hebrew culture, 
you will discover that a wedding was seven days long. It was a seven-day marriage celebration affair. And what would happen in those days was that uh, the bride and the groom, on the very first night, they would be sent into a tent. And that would be their honeymoon tent. And everybody knew what was going to happen that night. And then the next morning, uh, the bride and groom would walk out of their tent and everybody would have known what had happened. And as soon as they walk out of the tent, the singer, because it's celebration, you see, so the singer will, will, will start, and he would probably start singing, let him kiss her with the kisses of, her, of his mouth, for, for if your love is better than wine, quoting from this text. And the music would start, and the party would go on, and it would be seven days, seven nights of this. This song here was sung in the context of a wedding party. You will realize that it wasn't hush-hush. It wasn't kind of put at a corner and not talked about. And people, the point for us is this. We have to be able to talk about these things openly. We have to recapture the sex narrative from the world and tell a better story about, about a God who gives us these great gifts of marriage and relationships and pleasure and covenant and joy and all of those things. So in this series, we are going to talk openly about sexual intimacy. Of course, we are going to do it tastefully. We are going to be faithful to the text. We are going to stick to the poetry and the song and the romance in this book. And we're going to see how God speaks about these beautiful things that He has given us. But we are not going to be hush-hush about it either. Now the third thing that you need to know about the Song of Songs is that this is a song that's about Jesus. And therefore you will see, you will, you will, you will hear the gospel come out of it. Now, there is something that is very important for me to just make clear to you from the onset that people tend to allegorize this song, okay? And they say that this song is just about Jesus and His bride and the church. And they will allegorize everything that is in this song. And you will read commentaries about it. That it has nothing to do with marriage. That it has everything to do with your relationship with God. Now, there are commentators, theologians, teachers of the Bible for hundreds of years who have done this. Uh, let me just give you some examples without quoting any commentator or theologian for this. One guy took chapter 1 verse 12 in the songs. In, uh, if you look at chapter 12, uh, chapter 1 in verse 12, there's a, there's a statement there that says, the king is on his couch. And he said that, that what that means is that Jesus is in, in Mary's womb. The king on his couch is Jesus in Mary's womb. Now, I have no idea where he got there, uh, but that's what he says. And then in the next verse, this is getting even worse. Songs chapter 1 verse 13 says, The sacred, the sacred of myrrh that lies between my breasts. This is the bride talking. And she says that there's a sacred of myrrh that lies between my breasts. The commentator says, that is Jesus between the two commandments. 
to, one commandment is to love God and one commandment is to love others. And then another commentator says, no, 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 that's crazy. It is Jesus correct, but it is Jesus lying between the Old Testament and the New Testament. One breast is Old Testament, the other breast is New Testament. It really sounds absurd, right? Now, people, Jesus said that the whole Bible is about Him, that everything points to Him, everything is fulfilled in Him. And so we are not going to allegorize the song, but when we see that it points us to the love of God and for, for His bride, the church, then we will go in that direction. We'll point that way too. And we will do this throughout the song. And so now that we have got this picture, let's look at chapter 1. We're just going to look at four verses today. The, the, the verse 1 says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, which means that Solomon is the one who wrote this song. In 1 Kings 4, it tells us that God gave Solomon great wisdom, so much so that it, it surpassed everybody else's wisdom. And therefore, he, one of the things that he did in his wisdom, among the many other things that he did, was that he penned about 3,000 proverbs and he wrote a thousand and five songs in all. Like his father, King David, Solomon was a songwriter. And the Song of Songs is one of the songs that he wrote, which apparently is the greatest song in the Hebrew language. You see, you, 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 don't, you don't have the greatest king, right? You have the king of kings. You don't have the greatest lord. You have the lord of lords. And then you have the Holy of Holies. And here you have the Song of Songs, which means that it is the greatest song. And it is such a great song because it is a love song. And people, you got to get this. Because it is a love song in the Bible, it must stir us with this divine love. I'm sure that you have heard a song that stirred your heart, that moved you. This is a song. And so songs and music are supposed to move us. And in this case, it should move us to think about the love of God. J.R. Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis, in their writings, imagined that the creation was, was, was God singing things into existence. That when God uses the language, let there be light, He actually sang it. And, 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 uh, and it was in music. Song and singing is all over the scripture in expressing love. The first recorded words that we have for humanity was Adam. And you know what Adam was doing when he first saw his wife? Eve? Adam sang. He broke out in poetry. And he said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You are called the woman because you were taken out of the man. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, it talks about Jesus singing in the midst of the congregation. In Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, um, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and He will quiet you by His love and He will exult over you with loud singing. People, God sings over us. May the Lord sing this song over you. 
You know, may this, may this, as we, as we, as we, as we go deeper into the into the book, may you hear the sound of the singing of the Lord in your heart. And so we have to consider that throughout our times in the Song of Songs, that this is a song, this is poetry, and because it is song and poetry, it must be felt in the heart. Songs have a way of stirring the heart; they are strung to the heart. And therefore, the Song of Songs is meant to do something in us. It is meant to pull the strings of our heart, like the way that music and, and song and poetry and art does. The Song of Songs is given to us to evoke something in us. It is one thing to say, you know, like in a marriage, I do not know how you express your love to your wife. I know that, you know, it gets more and more uh, factual as the years go by. But how, how do you tell your wife that you love her? I mean, I love you. Yeah? You know it to be true, right? I love you, right? I mean, that's one way of saying it. Sometimes it sounds very cerebral. But if you look at the songs, the same thing, I love you, is expressed by it's in poetic singing. For example, in, 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 in verse in, 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 is it chapter 8 and verse 6, it says, this is how, this is how he, he says it. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. I wonder if he's talking about a tattoo there when he talks about a seal on his arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as a grave. It flashes, are flashes of fire, the very flame of, of, of the Lord. That's just so different. It evokes a different kind of a mood. It's meant to spark a fire in your soul. It's meant to stir up your emotions. This is, a, this is God's song to you. It is meant to stir in us something. This isn't a manual, people. This is not a how-to on sex. This is going to be about, this is not about technique. This is not about five ways to better please your lover. That's not what this is. This is, this is a song. And if it is a song, we must let it sing. We must let God sing it over our soul. And it is going to be very practical. But it must stir something in us. And as it stirs something in us, it will bring a measure of healing to us. This is God's song to us for love and for marriage and for life. All right, let's get into the first chapter now. It starts with a bank, okay? It starts this way. I know that, you know, Sohui tried to read this and it sounded a little bit, you know, it could be a little bit more, more romantic, but never mind, I forgive her for that. You know, it starts with a bang, and it says that, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. What a great way to start a book of the Bible, right? And then in verse 3, he moves on, and he says, your name, uh, your, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. She's saying, you got good cologne on you. You know, you smell good. And then you come to verse 4, which we didn't read. It says, draw me. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And right after that, you see, you got to know that sometimes it's he, sometimes it's she. Now it is the bridesmaids, the girls. 
the girls who are with her, they're going to sing as a choir. And they sing as a choir. And they say this in the next part of uh, verse 4. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We extol your love more than wine. Rightly, do, do they love you? Now, what they're saying is that we are proof of this. We are so happy for the two of you. Now, why is this, what is this poetry doing here? Let's just try to feel some of this, okay, if we can. What do you feel when you, when you, when you, when you, when you see this? What, what do you see? Now, let, let me help you notice a few things. Notice that this is the bride who is singing first. And as we get into, the, into it, you see that she sings the most in the book, in this song. The woman here, she is not silent, and she is not shy. She is not passive, neither is she weak. She takes the initiative. In the song, she expresses freely her passion and her desire, and people, her desires are godly for her husband, and that is why it's in, in the Bible. She takes the initiative here. She extends an invitation to the man. Did you notice that? She doesn't go kiss him. She says, let him kiss me. She invites him to kiss her. So you, can, you notice here that she's not looking to dominate him. She is inviting him. She wants him and she's leading him to kiss her. But she leads him to lead. It's, a mysteriously, it's mysteriously beautiful. It has all the makings of a godly couple's relational dynamics. You know, some of the wisest wives, they know how to lead their husband to lead them. That is, you know, they, those are the best wives. They know how to, you know, they know how to initiate. They know, the husband feels like he's leading, but actually she's leading. But she does it in such a submitted way that he feels so good that he is leading, but it's actually her. Those, you know, those are the, those are the smartest wives. You know, and the language here in the Hebrew is, let him kiss me with his kisses. Now people, that kind of kiss is not just a peck on the cheek. This is deep, intense, intimate kissing and probably doesn't just stay at the lips. There is deep passion and passionate kissing that she desires because she says, for your love is better than wine. And if you look at the word love in the Hebrew language, this is not steadfast love or friendship love or sacrificial love. The, the, the word is D-O-D in the Hebrew, dot, D-O-D, which means erotic love. It's almost like you can go home and to tell your wife, I dot you. You know, and uh, and it, so that's the the and he says that this this is passionate love and the love is better than wine. In the Bible, wine is seen as a good thing. It's it's, a, it's seen as a symbol of of joy and blessing and celebration. The psalmist tells us that God gave us wine to gladden our hearts. You remember Jesus' first miracle was to make good wine at the wedding, and and that and this song was probably sung at that wedding. 
And Jesus incorporates wine as a tangible picture of the gospel along with the bread in the communion that we're going to partake later on. And so every time we partake of the communion, we partake of a celebration of love. It's a love feast of wine and bread. We do this to remember the love of God that has rescued us, that is worthy of celebration. And, and wine is seen as a beautiful thing, therefore. It's a good thing in the Bible. And she says, yeah, but our, your love is better. Your love is better than even wine. She's basically saying, make me drunk with your love and your kisses. I want to be drunk in your love. And then you come to verse 4. She invites him again. She says, draw me after you. She says, let us run. She wants him right now, and then she calls him king. The king has taken me into his chambers. This is a, this is a woman, a wife, who desires her husband. She wants him to run after her into the bedroom, and she calls him a king. Now, this isn't Solomon writing about one of his many relationships. This isn't Solomon and his bride. This is every man and every woman. So when she says king here, she doesn't mean an actual king. Later on, in the next few weeks, you will notice that she starts calling him my shepherd. So what she's saying here is that, you know, the wife or the bride at a wedding is considered a queen and the groom is considered a king for the day. She is the bride, his queen, and he is the king, her king for the day. And that's what she's saying. And then one last thing. I want you to try to feel this, this, uh, feel this in this poetry, in this song. This is just gr the growing intimacy that happens in just, just, just short verses. She starts off by saying, let him kiss me. And then it changes, for your love is better than wine. And then she says, you smell so good. Even your name smells fragrant. Then it moves to the virgins. You know, the girls with me, they love you, they respect you, they honour you, they look up to you. And then she says, but you, draw me after you. And then it ends by saying, let us run together. It's almost like the both of them are getting closer and closer and closer and the two are now becoming one. There's a drawing near, a closer and closer intimacy as they continue to sing. And... And so you see passion and attraction and union and delight and pleasure and joy all wrapped up in these verses. There is such a gospel freedom in a song. This is something that every couple dreams about, wants, desires in their relationship, that there is a spark, there is a fire, there is a chemistry, there is an attraction, there is a oneness, there is a delighting in each other, there is a, there is a pleasure and there is a joy. We all want to see that in our marriages, whether we are newly married or married for umpteen years. We want that. And wives and husbands, this could be you. This could be any married couple. But listen, some of us looking at these few intensely romantic, passionate verses may feel rather discouraged. Like we look at this and say, mm, that's very nice to hear, Pastor, but this is not me. I really don't have these desires. 
I don't feel this kind of a freedom in my marriage. I'm not, some of us will say, we're already too old. We are not young anymore to feel this kind of hot passion and freedom and we roll out our eyes and we get sceptical about it. Or we say that, you know what, I've been so messed up, I cannot be like this. I am so broken, I'm filled with guilt, I'm filled with shame. You know, this kind of passion is impossible for me or for my marriage. And people, I'm going to address all those kind of things throughout this series. But here is what we need to do first. We just need to let this song to be sung over us. And I tell you why this is important. You need to trust God to take these holy scriptures, this holy poetry, this ancient poetry, and sing it over you. Even though your marriage and your intimacy is nothing near these verses. So I want to ask you, please stop becoming skeptical about these verses. Just because it's not a reflection of your life and your marriage. Would you stop believing more in the accusations of the enemy and in your own insecurities or your sense of shame and guilt and just embrace this song, this text, these scriptures, this word of God that God has given to us here. You see, people, God is not putting a weight on you and on your marriage. He's not making you more guilty because there's some brokenness, some dryness, some issues in your marriage. So much so that you know that, that you that you realize that you're no longer no, nowhere near these ideals of these verses that you feel like it's crushing you. You're saying, What is this? Kisses of the mouth. You know, I haven't experienced this in the last 40 years. No. If that's what you're feeling, even in these short few verses, let me encourage you. This is not what God is doing. He's not saying, you know, look, this is how it's supposed to be in your life. No, no, no. He's singing this song of what can be. He wants this song to heal you. He wants it to renew you. This is meant to be a weight that you have to bear, that you can't hold up. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, this is my gift to every couple. Yes, you are broken. That's okay. I'm the God who, who, who fixes broken things. I'm the God who restores things that are torn apart. And I will heal you. And I want to heal you. And so people, my prayer is that through this series that you will, you will, you will experience that healing. That your mind will be healed. That your heart will be healed that your marriage will find a renewal, and that if you're a single person, that your singleness, you know, that your brokenness in your singlehood will be restored, even as you prepare for marriage, as we work through this song. Now, let me close with this. I'm going to give you three things now that I feel like this, this, that, that this, this verses show us about marriage and intimacy, even as broken people. And we were close with that. The first thing is, people, is this. That sexual desires, our sexual desire is holy. It's a good thing. You know, when I, when I was a teenager, 
many, many years ago, and you know that it's many, many, many years ago, uh, I was taught, literally, my world at that time uh, was such that we were taught that the physical isn't as important as the spiritual, and that the material isn't as important as the immaterial. And in a sense, we forgot that it was God who created all that is material, that is God who created the body, and that when He created the body, He said that it was all good. That the very gospel message speaks of the importance of the physical as well as the material, that God would come in the flesh, which is the physical, and that He would enter into human history, that He would live like us, and He died our death, and that when He rose again, he rose in bodily form that he could be able to sit at the beach and enjoy a fish breakfast. And, and we forget that Jesus right now is fully God and fully man seated on his throne in a body. People, the physical matters, the body matters. And then when we try to separate the physical from the spiritual as if somehow one is more important than the other, we are entering to some foolishness and some wrong thinking. And that is when we make these absurd interpretations where you take the woman's breast in, 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 in the Song of Songs and you turn it into the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's absurd. And if you are not careful, we begin to call evil or bad what God calls good. No. Desire is good. Desire is godly. It only becomes wrong when it is misused, when it is misapplied, when it is taken out of its God-given boundaries. It is then that the, that, that, that the girls will, in the choir will rise up and say, say that, let's not awaken love before it's time. And they will scream that out. But no people, you know, that some of you uh, who, who may have grown up in church, you have, may have been taught that sex is dirty and wrong. But God creates Adam and Eve and gives them sexual desires and say that it is good. So sexual desire within the right boundaries is good. And let this song be healing to you. Let it be healing to you. And listen carefully. Now listen to this. If in your marriage today, there isn't this desire in you as a husband or a wife or as a wife for her husband, if there is a lack of sexual desire for one another in your marriage, then there is something that is broken in your marriage. There is something that is not quite right in your marriage. And it's important that you recognize that and just confess it and embrace the brokenness, it's okay. And cry out to God for healing because that's the first step for God entering into that space of your life, that private space of your life and bring healing to you and bring restoration to you. The, the marriage bed, people, is an expression of what is, what is already going on in the marriage relationship. So if there's a lack of friendship in the marriage, if there is conflict in the marriage, if there's underlying tension in the marriage, if there is sin in the marriage, it will definitely affect the intimacy in the marriage bed, in the bedroom. And that is the reason why that you got to first address the brokenness of the marriage before you can even expect to find healing in the marriage bed. Maybe you are broken 
because of sexual sin in the past, sexual abuse, bad teaching on, uh, on, on sex that you grew up with, or and all these have brought shame and guilt uh, and have taken away liberty from you. All this needs healing. And what you just need to do is to let this song, this passionate love between the husband and the wife to expose the brokenness in you and the brokenness in me. And remember, this book is meant to speak to your heart and bring you healing. So don't ignore the brokenness. Don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't put up a front like all is well. Let God sing over you as a first step to your healing. The other thing, is this. It is what should attract us to our spouse and our future spouse is character. Typically, what attracts us, you know what the world says we should be attracted to one another with is physical attraction. Watch all those movies, you know, see all those, what is in social media and everything else, and they say that you look good, you're eligible. There's nothing wrong with physical attraction. But what's, what's, what's talked about here in these first few verses, in this first part of the song, is not physical attraction, but an attraction that's based on his name. The, women, the woman's friends love him and approve of him because of his name. She says in verse 3, your name is all poured out. Someone's name is someone's character. His character is a pleasing fragrance to her. That's why, she say, uh, that's why she's saying, in the Bible, God's name is referring to God's character. It's the essence of who He is. And we say things like, you know, those who know your name will put their trust in you. So, His name is His character. And, and that is what this, this, this bride is delighted in. So, wives, let me ask you this question. What delights you most about your husband? It has to be his character, his godliness, the way that he treats you out of that character. The same goes for the wife. In Proverbs chapter 31, the wife was attractive only because of her character. So what matters most in marriage, which then would matter most in a marriage bed, is not how good they look, because looks will keep changing, and the older you get, you may not look so good anymore. It's not the personality. It's not that they have a great sense of humor. It's not the fact that they can cook, or they can, they can sew, or they can keep house, or they can bring in a lot of money. It's none of those things. I mean, all those things can be good, and chemistry uh, is great, but nothing wrong with that. But what matters the most is character. And you know, it's interesting that in most of our relationships uh, with one another, we don't consider looks first. I don't make you your, my friend because you look good. Maybe that will help me to make, become friends with you. But usually, you know, we, 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 we look at people and we become friends with them, not because of their looks, but more because of how they treat you, more because of their character. That's the reason why the real stuff of life cannot be held up by good looks or good personality. So you want to have an actual real relationship with someone? What matters most in life when things get hard, when things get difficult, when you have adversities, when you have to weather stormy waters, when there is conflict, 
is that you're going to ask this question, is he going to be gentle with me? Is she going to be kind towards me? Could we walk through this together? Does he have the character in the midst of this stressful situation? You know, would he, when things get hard, these are the things, these are the questions you are asking. Character is what should attract us to one another the most. Does she lead me to Christ? This, does he lead me to Christ? I remember talking to a marriage counsellor in, in my organisation, and she said that, I've had, uh, I have so many husbands and wives come to me for counselling, and most of the time, what they are asking is, if, if they are asking me is, if the other person would change, our marriage would get better. We always think that if the other person would change, but what really, who really needs to change is us. And then the marriage gets better. So ask God to, 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 to do a good work, of, to mature you and to, and to grow you. Look for growth and character in, the, in each other. And finally, people, the last thing, pursue a greater desire of Jesus. And, and, and you, will, you will hear me coming back to this again and again, and I will sound like a broken record when it comes to this because at the end of the day, this is what matters most. Do you desire God? You've got to ask yourself this question every day. Do I desire God? Because what your spouse needs the most from you is that you would pursue a love for Jesus more and more. Do you? You know what will keep your marriage going through thick and thin, ups and downs, is the fact that you are pursuing Jesus. Do you desire Jesus? It's all over the Bible, people. You know, uh, this desiring God. Uh, uh, that is uh, uh, Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Psalms 27.4. One thing I've asked of God that I would, I would want to spend the rest of the days of my life in the presence of God. People, do you desire Him? If I were to sit with you and pointedly ask you this question, what would be your answer? Do you pursue a love for Jesus? Is it showing? You know, God's beauty is wrapped up in His holiness. It is in His name. We desire God only because His character is so desirable. He treats us so well. He protects us, provides for us. He forgives us of our sins. He shows us grace when we are undeserving. Does that evoke a desire in your heart for God? You know, Satan has right thinking about God. In some sense, Satan has a better theology of God than you and I have. But he does not delight in God. And therefore, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't glorify Jesus that Satan has a right thinking about God. There is no desire. There is no worship of God. It is the desire, the worship of God that brings him glory. And that's what we are made for. You know, you have heard this said before that your marriage will never fulfill you. Yes, it is true. Because, you know, ultimately life is not about sex. Life is not about our desire for one another. Life is not about marriage. Ultimately, life is about desiring God. So do you desire God? We can desire God because Jesus first desired us. We love because He first loved us. Do you believe that? Or do you, really, do you really believe that Jesus loves you? Or do you just think that Jesus loves? Does He delight in you? Does He desire you? Yes, the gospel answer is yes. 
His, his desire for you meant, is meant to evoke in you your desire for Him. And people, you know, it is, that, that means that the love of the Lord is not just meant to produce right thinking in your mind. It's to evoke the right emotions about Him, the right desires towards Him. And the more we experience God's love, to that degree you will love your spouse with that kind of love. That's what's going to heal you. If there's, a, if there's a lack of sexual passion, it's that love of God that you experience emotionally, intensely within you that's going to heal you. Your marriage heals and your sexual brokenness gets fixed when Jesus' love is better than wine to you. Is the love of Jesus better than anything else to you? Then it's restoring and it's beautiful. Now listen, let me close with this. The next five weeks, would you get intentional people in making Jesus the love of your life? I do not know in this pandemic where you have been in that love relationship with Jesus. I do not know where, how, what kind of a distance that has been that has, that, that has happened as a result of, you know, uh, all that has happened, being, us not being able to meet together and all of that. But you know what? It is His love that will heal. And your life and your marriage will possibly get closer to the ideals in this song when you come back again to pursuing Jesus and desiring Him. Could we bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we come to you, Lord, as our Savior. You love us so much. You sent your Son in the flesh to die for our sins. And we come to you, Lord, as our healer. Father, many of us in this room, Lord, we struggle, oh, Father God, with shame, with guilt, with pain because of our brokenness, Lord. And it's only you who can fix the brokenness in our lives. It's only your love, O oh Lord, that can be a balm of healing for our broken lives. So help us embrace that brokenness and run to you, our King, for that healing. Lord, open our hearts and create a deep, deep new longing and desire to pursue Jesus and to want Him and to love Him. And I pray, O oh Lord, that in that love, we will find our healing, we will find our restoration for our own sexual brokenness and marriage. Lord, bless us through this series. Keep our, Lord, open our hearts that we may truly hear the word and allow this song to sing over our hearts. And Father, Lord, that as we begin to grasp, Lord, the truth that I found in this book, Lord, the Song of Songs. I pray, O oh Father God, that we will hear your love singing over our soul and the song, O oh Father God, the music, Lord, of that song, the words of that song, they will bring healing to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.